Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is um, April 14th, 2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength, and, and uh, we, as we come together, some things are on our minds. We're praying for healing those of us, of us who are sick and in pain, uh, especially tonight, Dwight, and obviously I've had some surgery as well. So Father, we're praying for life, health, and strength for us, and we also pray for wisdom as we focus our attention on your word. And we know that you uh, desire worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So Father, we come tonight in spirit and truth, recognizing your plan, your will for our lives, and our, we bring our humility to, to the table. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so our study is in Romans chapter 9. Uh, verses, we're going to try to look at verse 6 tonight, Romans 9 and 6, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are, are belong to Israel. So there are a couple things we'd like to discuss in this verse. I think it is pivotal for us to begin this journey in Romans chapter 9. So this is a part of it. We'll, we're just broaching the subjects that are ahead of us where Paul gives an apologetic to, uh, to Israel. Uh, he gives them an answer. So I, I think God does care about what Israel thinks. So he's taking time to go over and deal with the thoughts that may have come as a result of God's sovereign choices. In any case, we'll pause for a minute to see if there are any questions out there, ideas, thoughts. And so before we begin, we'll see if we, we have any. So I will pause. Doesn't sound like. Oh, hold on. Let me take a look. I did not get it. So I think I might have some questions by email, according to Dwight here. Let's see. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, this seems nothing's wrong with your fingers. That's for sure. I see a long email here. Uh, let's see. Uh, since we are made free from sin, the sin nature, it has been removed from us. And this positionally true, and this it should be. We have died. We are new creations in Christ, etc. Why does it take so much effort, so much of Paul's writings to address specific issue, the specific issues of the sin nature in the believer? 
only to leave me struggling to resist the pleasures of the world and try to avoid its pains, such as loneliness. Oddly enough, I feel more motivated and challenged when battling the structure of organized... I'm sorry? Oh, I felt. I felt more motivated and challenged when battling the structure of organized religion in an unhappy relationship. Without adversity, I'm not as dependent on the word for mere spiritual survival. It is transformed a thing, or is it also a journey? Am I on the wrong path, close but not quite? Uh, yeah, close but not quite. I don't feel fully engaged or how to fit God's plan. Okay. So it's, I think it's, it might be a question, but it's more it's just some thoughts, I think. So we could address that. I mean, uh, this is kind of interesting that the question is right here in front of me. So then he has a few verses about being free. And, uh, and then it's Romans 6, 7, for one who has died has been, has been set free from sin. Romans 6.18, and having been set free from sin, having have become slaves to righteousness, 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, or 8.2, for the law of the spirit of life has set me free from, free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then 12, 1 and 2, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. So, um, part of what Paul is helping us understand, and for us, there is a lot of uh, mental understanding that has to go on, because, especially because of what happened with Israel. Israel approached the law and thought, well, if I keep the law, God will be pleased with me. All I have to do is obey the law and then God will be pleased with me. Israel left out the spiritual connection that must precede their life in obedience to the law. So if it does not, pre if it does not precede that, then you put the cart before the horse and the power to live the spiritual life is out of focus with the action needed to perform it or to be transformed. So, and what I would say is Paul spends a lot of time dealing with our mindset in Romans 6, especially since he introduced this whole concept of the mystery and, you know, the dynamics of the new spiritual life that we have whereas before it was totally driven by the sin nature. So there is some things that we have to contend with here. So it's not what Israel had to contend with. It is something completely new, never before seen. And unless we wrap our, our eyes and our spiritual minds around these new dynamics, then we won't be motivated to function according, or, or we could say, 
we won't be on the right foot. We, we will, if we don't start thinking about who we are in Christ and what the assets provided us, we can't live according to them. So it, he spends a, a fair amount of time helping us understand that because that is the first thing we need to know is that we are no longer in Adam. So it, understanding that right, does not mean that we won't have uh, temptations from the sin nature. It still will come down to you living a committed spiritual life. And that committed life has to do with love. That's the motivation. Because of our love for, for God and what he has done for us. And we reciprocate. And, and we are committed to not only his word, but living out what it means to be a child of God in this particular age. So it takes the knowledge of that in order to be able to live it. So we're already saved. We're already separated. However, we're still on the battlefield. So part of our struggle and trouble in this world is going to be exactly that, the isolation, um, trying to separate us, to divide us, um, trying to make it seem like we are out on a limb, <laughs> we're crazy. Paul says, I am, when it comes to God, I am, my mind is blown. I am out of my mind. But when it comes to you guys, I'm trying to be sane and give it to you straight. So what we're what I'm saying in all of this is, is it, is that yeah, we when we look into the Word of God, it blows our mind what God has done. But then, when it comes to our struggles in this world, we are truly grounded. Right? We we realize we are not in heaven yet. God, the rapture hadn't happened. We don't have our new resurrection bodies. And in this world, we will have trouble. So this world is a tough place. It's tough. So I don't have to tell you all of that about that. You know, and we've talked about it many times. So part of it is approving of whether or not we will receive rewards, do God's will in this world. As Paul said, fight the good fight, keep the faith, right? All those things are part of why we're here. So we, we come to understand why we're here, what, what our true purpose is. Then we begin to separate ourselves unto that purpose. We can't have um, the dual thinking when it comes to, you know, what our purpose is in the world, what God called us to do, and begin to think about uh, all this world has to offer uh, or trying to make a home for ourselves in this world, trying to, to carve out a place where, like we belong down here. We really don't. We don't fit down here. And I, I would venture to say that our lives in this world will not be what we would consider normal. 
but what what people might see on the outside is one thing, but what is happening on the inside is something completely different in us. They have no understanding of who we are or what we're thinking because they cannot, not without by means of the spirit. So, yeah, it's two people could be sitting right next to each other and one could, and they could both say the same thing, praise the Lord. And then they could have totally different thinking going on on the inside. The person who has faith understands and understands where he is, he is what God has called them to, and what is his responsibility. The other person may not have any understanding, may be speaking from a standpoint of religion. So what happens is we yearn for people, fellowship, when it comes to uh, the things that we are familiar with. And it's just not a lot of people. Of course, we, we, we're here. We certainly are here. But outside of church, we find it is a lonely experience when it comes to the things of God. How many people, and I wouldn't think that Dwight is the only one, can go out and share the things that we're talking about here to other people. Now you might say, well, maybe the things we're talking about are wrong. And what we should be is assimilating with what other people are talking about. Well, I have a nagging suspicion that what we are talking about is what the Word of God is teaching. So, no matter what the other people are talking about, I can't find fellowship with them unless they're talking about what the Word of God is teaching. Because that's what we're all about. I have kept the faith, Paul said. That's important. Keeping the doctrine. Guarding the doctrine in our souls. So it's precious. While the world is going in a whole different direction, uh, the people in the world have different motives, uh, we are thinking in a new way and in a way that that God has called us to. The joy. Just imagine for Christ. He was crucified. Right? He came to his own. His own did not receive him. He was crucified. Talk about being rejected. An outcast. Uh, Christ fulfilled all of that. And to suffer for the Jews meant to, to, to basically turn your world upside down. What was home and comfortable feeling and the feeling that you belonged to something was turned upside down. Family, you'd be shunned. You can't go to synagogue. You can't. All the things that they felt where they were in their culture, comfortable, they lost. And they had to step out, be criticized, lied on. Uh, persecuted. I could go on with some of the things that happened to him. Martyred even. So for what we have to suffer is more, not so much physical where we are in this country. I wouldn't say it might not happen physical. It could happen physical to you as well. But it is more mental suffering that we have to deal with. 
And that suffering, if we think about what, what will it be, it will be nobody around you will likely understand who you are, what you're going through. There won't be a group, you know, like when you have people who suffer from addictions, when they come together and they find, hey, I'm not the only one going through these same things and I'm realizing other people are. And you find camaraderie and rapport from, uh, and you gain strength from others. Not so much here. The only way we can pursue these things is right here in this uh, format where we have the opportunity to talk about these things in, in detail. That's the fellowship that we have. So we, we prize that. It's precious to us. And the Word of God is precious to us more than anything else. So what happens is in this world, we think that we have, um, you know, this, this fellowship with, because, you know, we did come from this world. And this is where we were raised and all of that, similar to Judaism. But now we're taken out of it. And I would also say part of uh, the, the thinking would be the pandemic, which has everybody isolated more than they ever were before. And uh, so my thought and hope is, is that we will not be as isolated as we were in the pandemic. And in fact, I'm going to get myself together and begin to do some traveling. I think I was talking to Bill today, and I can't wait to get back to to what you know things where things are more normal than they were than they were in the last year and a half or so. So yes, all those things are absolutely true about us. We died to sin, but it does not mean because we live in this world that the sin nature does not have access to us to tempt us. So it, all of those things are still going on. It is part of uh, the proving ground is one, you have to overcome, you have to believe in Christ, overcome your sin nature, uh, have more momentum uh, focusing on what God has for us than we have for what the world has for us. So those things are true, uh, all of those things. And as we meditate and keep our focus on those things, God will give us more wisdom. Wisdom is how we walk in this world, how we take the information God has given us and we apply it to our lives here in this world. That's wisdom. It's not Wisdom is not just knowledge. It is how do we, as believers in this world, behave? What, what do we do? How, how do we walk in truth? So God, the Holy Spirit, will give us wisdom in those areas. So I will pause to see if the others have comments uh, and or thoughts. Okay. I'm sorry? Thank you for addressing that. Oh, okay. I heard you. I did hear you. I'm turning on our speaker here so you could be louder. So, but those, those are great, great thoughts because 
we all are struggling in this world. And there's a verse that comes to mind that I'd like to read. Uh, and it is in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. So here it is, just to note. Um, so I'm going to pick up verse 25 or 24 so he says uh, five times this is Paul five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one three times I was beaten with rods once I was pelted with stones three times I was shipwrecked I spent a night and a day in the open sea I have been constantly on the move I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. So here, this last verse, is the thought. Paul struggled as well. He struggled with all of it. So, I mean, he, he even struggled with, with his, the, the Corinthians who were trying to say that he wasn't even worth or worthy to be called an apostle. They questioned his apostolic authority. I mean, this, this man, he went through it all. I think God sent him through it all so that we could watch him and see how he managed it so Paul then turned that whole thing around verse 30 if I must boast I will boast of the things that show my weakness so the fact that we are weak is not an indication of failure the fact that we are weak is more an indication for us to depend on God's strength so that comes that's played out in the next chapter as well but there's the thought who paul said he's dealing with it and here, here just i could take you to the end where paul said he's about ready to be poured out as a offering a sacrifice he's getting ready to be martyred he's gonna die he knows it and he says i have fought a good fight i have kept the faith I have finished my course. And he is going to be rewarded. And others as well who have the same mindset as Paul. Did Paul sin? Did Paul fail? Yes, he did. But he got right back up and he continued on. So I would offer that passage as well. Uh, other thoughts from anyone else?
All right. So we have a few more thoughts here. Um, but we're going to save some of those. Um, here, I think part of it is not having... This is point two. I'll just throw this out. I think part of it, because it continues the thought, is not having anyone understand and believes where I think part of it is not having anyone understand and believe me it's a struggle to find and engage in conversation with it should be with anyone who is hungry to learn about and or knows about the mystery of Christ Paul said he wanted to make it plain make it plain to everyone I'd feel very lucky if I can make it plain to anyone. Some quit listening and some jump to, oh, I get it. So what? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say uh, another thought comes to mind as I read that verse. That verse, that point number two you made. And that is uh, Colossians. Colossians. So here's, here's where it is. Colossians 1. Uh, let's see. So this comes to mind. So he says, uh, verse 24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. So, so remember we talked about joy. Joy is something special. Why? Because... Joy recognizes the suffering. We don't have joy with the absence of suffering. We have this kind of joy in recognition of the suffering. So there's a difference here. And the difference is that we, we know that we are in God's will. There is an overriding confidence and assurance that God has given us to know that we are walking in his steps and doing those things that he has called us to do. That can give us joy. That Therein lies the joy. So he says, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now it, it is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here, in these two verses, <laughs> is the thought. That's, there's the context, but here's the thought. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So hold on to that right there admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So this is, so Paul was motivated to, like we, if we were to take the Ephesians passage, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. So the administration means how God is ruling over his household, right, That uh, in this dispensation. So if we, 
what Paul is saying, admonishing and teaching everyone. And But this part here, with all wisdom. So the wisdom part is like we were talking about before, being wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. The wisdom part explains the motivation and the how Paul is going to bring uh, this information to the table. So, and, and this is, if you think about how he's going to do it, this is every stage of development. It's not just being able to tell people, here's the mystery, or let me teach Christ. Whatever stage of development that person is, maybe that person says, I don't, I don't even know if there's a God. I'm not even sure. Maybe that person says, yeah, there, there may be a God, but uh, how do you know that you, you, you're on the right track? I can't say, well, you know, or there's a God, but, but my church is the one. And I'm fulfilled with everything they're teaching. So I'm fine. So wherever you meet people, whatever they talk, whatever there's, your motivation is the same. Whatever stage they're in, to take them to the next place where God can challenge them. Maybe they've been lulled to sleep by religion. Your, your calling, at whatever stage they're in, whatever conversation it is, that's what Paul was about here. When he met people, that's what he was about. And we, we, we even encapsulated it by going to 1 Timothy 2, this is, this is what pleases God, that all men may be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. So we know what our motivation and our goal is. But when we go and take that to the world, we have to temper that with where the person happens to be. And, and whatever stage, whatever it is, we should keep our motivation in mind and we should be uh, our attitude should be just like Paul. I'm ready. I can't, I can't wait. And even if it's just the conversation about is there a God, I'm just as happy to talk about that that I than I am to talk about the mystery and the deep things of God. Because bringing that person, if I can bring that person one step along that path, then I I feel that I. And fulfilling that purpose that God called me. So it may not seem like it. It may it may seem abrasive to the person. Well, what do you mean there's a God? We 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 differ because I. How come you don't believe the same thing I believe about? Well, no, I don't. And here's why. Uh, so, it, whatever that conversation is, it allows God, the Holy Spirit, to plant seeds in their minds. So He says. It, he says, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So that's the goal. We know it. They just don't know it. But that is our goal. Hey, how's it going? Well, did, who won the game last night? Oh, yeah? Well, what's going on with that? With conversation. But in your mind, it all leads to this point in Colossians 1.28. Verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. 
That energy is God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. That's where that comes from. So the curious nature, right? Uh, just the understanding of being able to engage people in whatever conversation, wherever they are in, in the world, whatever their thinking is, that we are equipped to give a reason for the hope that is within us to everyone who asks. So it doesn't matter. We work, we, all we do is offer ourselves and we realize that God the Holy Spirit takes over and begins to work powerfully in us. So um, we will uh, pause to see if there are other thoughts and then we will head into Romans. Thank you. All right. All right. So I, I don't hear from others. So I'm assuming others are fine with what we discussed or don't have uh, ready opinions or thoughts. So we'll, we'll continue right into Romans. So you have notes. And um, so we're going to head into Romans chapter 9. So... Let's get to it. So in your notes, Romans 9, 6 says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So Israel is a nation chosen by God. Therefore, it did not emerge from the will of man. So God has a distinct purpose. God has distinct purposes for this nation that other nations do not share. To fulfill God's purposes, the Israelite must respond to God by faith. As we think about how Israel came to be, we should keep in mind that God had a specific direction in its creation. We should make sure we understand God's purposes for Israel or we will be tempted to assign our own purposes. I think many have not understood Israel's calling and have concluded that if God is now working with the church, then the word of God has failed Israel. We're going to take this in two phrases. The first one is, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. So the first thought is, who thinks the word of God has failed? <laughs> Why would Paul even raise that question? As we spent a lot of time the last time we met, really keeping our focus on who is at issue here. What is going on? What is the context? And we saw how the Apostle Paul tried to make a case to Israel about election. Obviously, we know as the church, we are elect. God has chosen each one of us to be in this particular age, which, which makes us the church. And we, we call ourselves the church. We are also the body of Christ. We are identified with the person of Christ. We are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We could go on with some of the analogies given us. He's divine. We're the branches. That's the closeness of the union that we have with Christ. We're so united to him that we are said to be raised with him seated in in the heaven in the heavenly realms and heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
So our calling is without dispute, clearly taught by the apostle and others, uh, other New Testament apostles and prophets. So there was no, it's definitely clear to us that Jews and Gentiles are no longer Jews and Gentiles. They are one in Christ Jesus. We're no longer a Jew, no longer a Gentile, no longer male, no longer female, no longer slave, no longer free. I could go on some of the other distinctions that people use in this world. None of those distinctions. And if some are, are missing, and let's say there's some distinction you come up with, then we could add that in there as well. We are whatever Christ is. And whatever Christ is, is not related to any title or position in this world. So who thinks the word of God failed? <laughs> the apostle? No. We can't say Paul does. He's raising the question so that he can answer it. It's like saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's like asking the question, well... <laughs> It's not as though the word of God has failed. He's raising. Now that's egregious to suggest that the word of God has failed Israel. That is literally to say that God did not keep his word. That's bad. That's a, that's, a, that's a bad assumption to make. God has kept his word. He's not only We talked about this recently. said not only has God preserved his word, meaning that we have the Bible from antiquity. Today, we have it replete the same way it was given way back. Right? When the word of our God stands forever, the grass may wither, the flowers may fade, but we have it in our hands right now. But more than that, more than that, the fact that the word is preserved to us, we have the veracity of the word of God. In other words, the word of God is true as well. It, it is without error. It is inerrant. We, we understand that the word, the prophecies, whatever is said in the word has been proven to be absolutely true so that we could say, or we do say, that it is the word of God. It is God-breathed. So, understanding that, for Paul to suggest, has the word of God failed? Well, no, it's not Paul that suggests that. He's not saying that. But, but there are some people who are suggesting that. We're, we're going to say, well, is it the church? Could it be the church? Absolutely not. We don't say that. We don't think the word of God has failed. In fact, we are so pleased... And what we say is, thank you, God. We Gratitude is overflowing for the fact that you chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So it's not failed in any, under any circumstances. The church would never think that. So is it Gentiles? No, Gentiles don't think the word of God has failed. In fact, they may not even care. What about Israel or Jews, do they think the word of God has failed? So the answer is a little complicated because it's yes and no. So we're going to explore that. Point B, why? 
because Israel does not think the word of God has failed on the one hand because they depend on the word of God for their calling. In other words, by them saying or accusing God, literally it is not even accusing the Apostle Paul because Paul is following the revelation of God. So for them to reject the revelation of God is to literally accuse God and the word of God. Now, last time we met, I read some verses from Jeremiah. And we saw if the heavens, if you can count the stars in heaven, if you can count the see the grains of sand on every seashore, then will I cast away Israel from becoming a people, even after all they have done. So in other words, even the disobedience of Israel is brought into question. And God says, even in spite of that, I will never cast away Israel from being a nation before me. Well, a question we could ask is, is Israel a nation before God right now? I'm not talking about those unbelieving Jews that are over there in Israel right now. I'm not talking about them. No, Israel is not a nation before God. How can we explain these things? Did the word of God fail? Did God cast away his people, which he foreknew? We could ask those questions. And, that, and we should say that is a legitimate question. We should not be offended by, oh, what are you saying? The word of God can fail. Are you really saying that? No, we're not saying that. But I'm suggesting to you that it is a legitimate question to answer and to think about. Well, it just so happens that we have a ready answer. Although a lot of people do not because they don't understand the mystery. We do. We understand that the prophecy clock is, is, is frozen right now. God is calling out his people. And he's calling them from whatever humanity, wherever they exist in humanity, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. He's calling out those people into the body of Christ. And then when he finishes calling out those people in the body of Christ, he will resume the prophecy clock, the time clock of Israel. Israel operated according to time. In fact, there were prophecies that happened. You can read the book of Daniel, and it predicts when Christ will come. It talks about how many years and so forth. But we have no prophecy like that happening now because of what's going on as far as God's plan that was hidden for ages and past generations, was never revealed to those people, but it is now happening as we speak. So, it needs an answer, right? We need to be able to think about it, logically understand how God's word has not failed. The apostle is going to approach it from a different angle, although he's already talked about the mystery. He's not coming up with some argument that does not include the mystery. He's coming up with an argument that does include the mystery, but there's more to consider. 
Because even if Paul says, okay, it's the mystery, the Jews could say, still, I, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't agree that it's the mystery. I think you still have to abide by what Israel, uh, the promises that were given. So, so let's just continue on in the notes. I think I try to answer some of these questions. I hope I'm not raising more questions than I'm answering. So why does Israel not think the word of God has failed? Because they depend on the word of God for their calling, right? Israel, for them to say, hey, hey, wait a minute, you can't change horses in the midstream here. You can't do that without violating what the word of God is to Israel. You can't do it. Point C, however, if they must accept the church's calling, if they must accept the church's calling, then they are saying that they would, that would mean failure. That's what they're saying. Because then they're saying, well, then God did change. Israel, then, then God is working with the church and he's not working with Israel. Israel is no longer a nation before God. Israel's not God's chosen people right now. Now, of course, God still says they are his chosen people. And so look at Romans 11. You're already in Romans, so just go to 11, verses 1 and 2. I ask then, Paul is asking the same question. He's still, after he's in, we're in 9, in 11, he comes, he, he swings back at it again to deal with this question. He says, did God reject his people? Did he? By no means. And just imagine, we're not at 11 yet, but all the explaining that he's already done in all those other chapters, he still comes back with, did God reject his people? By no means. In other words, God forbid, I, no way. And he says, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? And we could go on, but the thought is, Paul's saying he's a believer, and there's a calling for Paul. There's purpose and meaning in Paul's life. Now, he's not a Jew anymore, even though he, he's letting you know that he was a Jew, and then now he's in the church. He understands that. Israel refuses to be uh, to to acknowledge the church as a viable entity that God is working with at this particular point in time. So, point D, the apostle is defending the word of God. That's what he's doing. To be sure, it is not failed, right? It has not failed. The word of God, let me just say, it has not failed because God has chosen the church. That's what Israel is saying. That's why I say yes and no. They're saying, really? We don't believe the word of God has failed because we're rejecting that God would now be working with the church. That's what, that's what Israel is saying. And they're saying, if you force that upon us, then we're going to say that the word of God has failed. We don't really believe that because what we really believe is that we are the chosen people. And God is still working with us. And we need to keep reading and abiding by the Mosaic Law. That's literally what they're saying. 
So they're suggesting to Paul that, hey, you can't, God can't change directions here. He can't now call the church when he is supposed to be dealing with Israel. Right? This is basically what he's saying. Point E, since the church is a mystery and clearly a change in direction. It, it is. Let's acknowledge that. God is not dealing with Israel right now. He has set Israel aside. Prophecy clock has stopped. It is as though the human history is frozen in time right now. It is literally frozen, and God is able to stop. And we are able to now examine Israel, look at what they did in the past, all the way up to Christ. And we are able to look at the future of Israel through revelation God has shown us. But right now, God is not dealing with Israel. He is fulfilling a purpose for which he created all things. Israel was not privy to it. Gentiles were not privy. Angels, it was hid in God. So this is why we know the mystery answers this. Since the church is a mystery, was never known, and clearly a change in direction, Israel saw the change as a threat. Even Acts 1-6 is not only, when I say Israel at large, it is unbelieving Israel. But when we look at Acts 1-6, we're seeing believing Israel. They don't understand. We're talking about the disciples here in Acts 1-6 saying, okay, okay, we got this whole, we, you, you certainly slipped one in on us with that resurrection. You got us. But now, okay, is it at this time that you are now going to restore Israel to its glory? I'm adding some words there, but basically that's what they were saying. Is it now? And this is the disciples in Acts 1-6, just before Christ is getting ready to ascend, asking this question, which to them, they, they still don't understand that there's going to be a dispensational change. Uh, and when we say a dispensational change, it is a hidden dispensation. That's Ephesians 3, 2. Right? So here it is, uh, Ephesians 3. So it says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. This administration of God's grace or the dispensation of God's grace given to me for you, that is the mystery. So the dispensation is a mystery. Nobody knew that this time period would be hidden. It, it wasn't revealed. It was nobody, God didn't tell anybody. He didn't have to. He could not tell anybody if he chose not to. And he chose not to tell anybody. This is where Paul's getting this whole mystery concept from. He didn't tell anybody. And it's not only just, uh, you know, the people that we are, but it is the whole time period, the dispensation that is now thrown in to the other dispensations that were known. Those disp if there was a hidden dispensation, that means there must have been other dispensations Right, that it had to be hidden around or in. So, so this is this is the thought. Acts one six. Even the disciples 
were asking the question about this information. Jesus didn't answer it directly. He said, just, just wait. It's not for you to know the times and seasons. The Father's put in his own hand. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that power is not only the power of all that Christ had told them, but more as well. Much more than they could have borne at that time. So this is where Israel was. They were caught between a rock and a hard place. They couldn't believe in, in, in this whole thing with Christ and he's the Messiah. And now there is a mystery. They were having trouble with believing in Christ as the Messiah. So point F, without a proper understanding of the mystery, many will look for other solutions to difficulties that only the mystery thinking can properly resolve. <laughs> only the, You cannot come up with any other solution to this uh, unless you understand the mystery. You will have to say that the Jews have a legitimate point to make, right? God did cast away his people because now he's, what about those people who have replacement theology? They're saying, well, Israel was given all those promises, but now they're going to be fulfilled in the church. What about all those people who say that? Well, what they're really saying is the word of God has failed because the Jews are saying God chose us not Gentiles, he chose us, those who are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it is our calling. We were the ones who were foreknown, elect, called, chosen, justified, all those things. That's us, Israel is saying. And all those promises that God made to us, they stand. And, of course, for people to say, well, well, those promises, God does not have to literally keep his promises. Well, if we go down that road, then we're in big trouble because he doesn't have to keep his promises for anything, if that's the case. And what, what, we're, we're not up to, uh, it's not up to us to believe whatever we want about God. It's up to God to tell us what we should believe. And the word of God is not like clay in our hands. We could shape and mold it any way we want. This is God who is sovereign here, not us. So without this proper understanding of the mystery, many are going to cause a problem. They're going to make a mess. Because even... So we can't say that there's no, no point to make because Paul has definitely taken a lot of time to try to make that point and to help them understand through the false thinking, how the mystery can resolve it. Point G. The Jews rejected this teaching. They simply, out of hand, said, no way are we dropping the Mosaic Law. No, we're not. Jesus is not the Christ. In fact, he must die. We're going to kill him. We're going to put him on the cross. Um, we're definitely not accepting this whole thing about God the Holy Spirit, even though... It was accompanied by signs, wonders, and various miracles given by, testify to by the Holy Spirit. That these men, not only did Christ come with all of those things, but those who came after him, the apostles, who had the mystery information, the new dispensational teaching, they were 
accompanied by the same signs, wonders, and miracles. God's direction was clear. I don't know how they could have denied it, but they did out of hatred and envy and a lust for power. They still denied it. So they rejected the teaching. They do, do not believe what happened at Pentecost. So what is the church? But the Jews, the reason why they rejected it was the, their context of Israel and their clinging to religion, which became religion uh, after they rejected Christ and, and rejected the new way. They just clung to uh, the forms of religion that they had through the Mosaic Law. And that is what's going on today. So the Jews had a context, right? They, they I'm not saying they had an excuse because God demonstrated it beyond any doubt that this was the way to go. And of course, some did. Like Paul mentions, I, 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 I'm an, I was an Israelite. I believed in Christ and I'm part of the church right now. He's saying, I, I'm, God didn't fail me in any way. That's not failure. So, what is, so the answer, the question that I have, what is the church's excuse today? I mean, we, we, we can see what Israel's excuses were, but even though they don't hold water, what does the church, what, what are they excuse? Why don't they believe what happened at Pentecost? Why is it that the church doesn't get along with the mystery doctrine? Right? They, they just refuse to embrace it as though it was the plan of God for us. It is the plan of God for us. And they refuse to embrace it. They don't talk about it. All they want to talk about is what happened in Israel, what Israel is doing, how Israel is faring, what's happening in uh, you know, how did they do it? What objects lessons, what object lessons can we learn from them in this area, that area? Nothing about the doctrines, the new life that is ours, the resurrection life, the identification with the person of Christ, his destiny is shared, our role as those who are united to the person of God, this unique person. Nothing much is discussed about the glories that are awaiting us. So, what is the church's excuse? I, I can't answer it. I can suggest that because they fail to pay attention to what the Word of God says. Literally, it's in the Word of God. And that's what gives me joy to know, even if they reject it, that it's not about them, but it's about what helps me understand that I am walking in truth is according to what the Word teaches. So, let's keep going. So, it is not as though as the Word of God has failed. Well, remember, the Jews think you can't just call a church. God is dealing with Israel. Not only that, we reject Christ. So, we don't even think that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And not only that, whatever you think happened to Pentecost is blasphemous because God did not change direction. Gentile, Gentiles cannot be in the same body as Jews. That's false thinking. This is how Jews think. And they're saying, if you force this upon us, then you're saying the word of God has failed. 
we're adhering to the word of God by saying that no, we're rejecting this new age theology. Point number two. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Okay, so let's look at this, this thought. So how does one truly be the Israel of God? How can you be a part of Israel? Okay, and this is interesting because there's a couple things that we should say. Now, you might say, I already know this, but let's think about it. So one, God must call you right, and select you to be in Israel. When we say in Israel, that, that has a particular point in time. So there, Israel was called, and, and we read this last time we were together, God, he, he freed them from the, their bondage in Egypt, called them out through signs, wonders, and miracles. He let them know, I'm God. You should have no other gods before me, right? Uh, I'm the one that took you out of Egypt and so forth and so on. And then he gave them his law, his laws, plural. This is who... He, he didn't give his laws to all the nations that were on the earth already. He gave his laws to Israel. He established the nation Israel. So for God to call them, them through those patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob then became Israel, he changed his name to Israel, which was made up of the tribes, or Jacob's sons. So this is part of the history of their calling. Right? You can't, and God had to either bring you, when it says call you, he has to select you to live at a particular point in time through the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, of course, after which uh, time, there was a way to become a part of Israel, a proselyte of Israel. And, and the way you did that is not only did you have to become circumcised and commit to the Mosaic law, those things, but you had to believe, right? These, now, of course, we say believe, we're going to get to that point in point number two. But that is uh, how a Gentile could become a part of Israel. But mainly, you had to have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it was a racial identity. Plus, as we say, we say in point two, you must believe the promise of faith. So before we get to the faith part, so point number one, you mu God must call you. So if God calls you now, to be in this age and, and selects you to be in this age. You can't be in Israel when you come to faith. You can't be. Why? Because the mystery is going on right now. And even if you wanted to be in Israel, you can't be in Israel. So when I say God must call you, that means that his calling comes with selecting you to be born at a particular point in time. As if we're talking Israel, you could have been in Ninevite. But that, that, or you could have been one of the Amalekites or some, an Egyptian or 
or something. And it did not mean that you had the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you could believe in Christ after you heard the gospel, but it did not mean you would become an Israelite. It didn't mean you were called through the racial, the new racial identity. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. So that's important to note. So you, you had to have that, or you become a convert to Judaism through circumcision and your adherence to the Mosaic Law, which people did. Point number two, and you must believe the promise. And this is where it was given to Abraham, uh, also reiterated through Isaac, and reiterated through Jacob. So you must believe the promise by faith. So it was not by keeping the law, and that's where the Jews failed, because they thought, well, you know, we have the law, and therefore God respects us. God, we have the law, therefore we're special to God. We, we have the law, therefore we have an in with God. And that's wrong thinking. So you had to have faith. So, of course, if you have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, potentially... Once you have faith, you'll become an Israelite. If you don't have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you're living during that time, and you have faith, you don't become an Israelite. You become a believing Gentile. So it's very specific about who's an is who is part of Israel and who is not. So that faith is important. Because without the faith, then you become you have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you don't believe in the promise, right? That's that's what's unique. So, of course, let's read a couple verses, and we're going to have to. I'll read one verse, and we're going to have to quit looking at the time. Galatians, chapter three. Uh, hold on, let's get to it. Galatians three. Uh, 9 through 14. So 3 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So there, Paul is discussing this very point. right? So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. Notice the man of faith. So this is part of why I say it's important. You have the same faith as Abraham. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So why is there a curse? Because the law condemns you. If you break the law, then it shows your condemnation. And really, nobody can continue to do everything written in the book of the law. No one who has a sin nature can do that. So everyone is under a curse. That's why the law is said to be the minister of death, minister of condemnation. It shows you that you're condemned and that you're dead before God. So you need a savior. Clearly, no one, verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. So we can go to Romans 3, therefore by the works of the law, no flesh, no person can be justified in his sight. Now he's talking to the Jew because the Gentile didn't have the law. 
So imagine Gentiles today are running around talking about, well, we're moral and we have certain things we believe, so that's why God likes us. That's not it at all. It's by faith. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He paid for all of our sins. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree or a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentile through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So Paul is looking way ahead from what happened to Israel to the place where we are now, where we receive the same salvation Abraham had. But guess what? There's a difference. We have the promise of the Spirit, which is new. So I would just say in this, it is important Right, that we are, that Israel, I should say, be believing Israel. Not just say, oh, Israel is, they have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, God made promises to this people. He will fulfill those promises to those people. He has not forgotten about the promises. You don't have to remind God. Hey, God, don't you remember you told us you would never cast us away? Yes, God knows that. That's why we know Israel has a future. Absolutely. That is in our theology. It's in the apostles. It's in, it's in God's thinking. So we're going to have to quit, but we have no more time. But we have to finish this last part next week. So we, we, there's some important points to consider here. You obviously have the notes. You can read ahead and we can discuss it. Hopefully, uh, some in Q&A. These are some integral points that I think um, all of us need to have under our belt. Let's, let's have a word of prayer as we close. Father, thank you so much for what you have told us in these verses. Thank you for your word, which is not only preserved, but it is also true. It, is, it never fails. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who confirmed everything you have said in the past and what you will do for us going forward. We trust in you. We trust in your word. We derive understanding and wisdom from the things that are written here. We develop confidence as we see how you have dealt with those in the past and you continue to deal with us even today. We thank you for choosing us from before time began. And we pray uh, for those, again, who are sick among us. That we will be healed. You will put us back on our feet so we can continue to fellowship in your word and fulfill the purpose for what you've called us in time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.